Stuff Podcasts. A warning, this podcast contains references to subjects and discussions that could be hard for some people to hear. Some episodes may also contain explicit language, so please take care. Nobody's trying to slut shame the dude MPs or talking about them as being ugly or fat. You can really see it because you can see it in the language and the kind of attacks you get. Queenie, queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, queenie, don't drop the ball. Welcome to Tell Me About It, the podcast where we're mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore. I'm Michelle Duh. I'm Kirsty Johnston. And I'm Noelle McCarthy. Hang on though, can I just double check before we start? I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to check anyway. Why are we furious? I'm basically sick of explaining misogyny, what it is and why we should care to people who seem to be willfully denying or derailing the conversation. Wait, what's happened now? I mean, Michelle, (laughs) I can imagine the kinds of emails you must be getting when you write stories like you've written recently about the sort of national and social and cultural implications of misogyny. But do please go on and explain. I think when you receive such a volume of emails, you just really start to notice a theme. And what I see over and over again is just so many ways of trying to minimize it. You know, that's from people saying, I think you're being a bit precious and paranoid about being a woman love, to others just saying, well, yeah, well, men get abused too. So what's the difference? At the risk of sounding like I'm looking for a fight here, please, Michelle, once more with feeling, or Kirsty, what is the difference? Well, I'll hop in because I'm not sure if Michelle's got the, you know, wherewithal, <laughs> a media, <laughs> a media rage fest. So for one, men aren't, get, the, the difference is that men aren't getting abused because they're men. And the abuse that they get isn't related to their gender like, in any way. They're not getting told that they're a C-word simply for being in power, like, I guess instead of you know where they should be in the kitchen. And the abuse isn't focused on their looks or their femininity or their lack of femininity or whatever. The abuse that women get is like literally gendered and designed to punish women for straying outside their lane, which isn't what men get. Hurrah. I feel like you really summed that up in a nutshell. I did get one email that made me laugh, uh, which said that Jacinda Ardern is arrogant and that that's rubbing off on the rest of us women. Shit, definitely. We're getting ideas above our station. You know, it's catching. This is this reminds me, do you remember when we talked to the editor of the Don Post, Anna Fifield, and we were talking to Anna about misogyny and about printing the C word on the front of the paper because it's the abuse that women in local government get. And she described, didn't she, that that sort of public river of misogyny that is centred around the Prime Minister and, and how it comes out of this fundamental hatred of being told what to do by women. Absolutely. Like the same words could come out of Christopher Luxon's mouth and it wouldn't have the same impact. You know, people don't feel patronised by man. Patronised? Patronised. You can say either. You can do what you want. This you is carry your podcast. On. Okay. As Anyway, the other point, I think, is that women can do it too because internalised misogyny is real 
because people use that as an argument, you know, it's just some as to why something is, isn't misogynistic. Like I've got three daughters and a wife and we don't say her name in our house. Therefore, you know, it's not misogyny. Why were you quoting from emails you actually get? It sounds That like was actually you know. an email I got today. Wow. Yeah. Her yeah. name, like Voldemort. Her, <laughs> she shall not be named. I mean, I just don't understand why people are so obsessed with defining misogyny. Why is that? Uh, why does that matter? It's to derail the argument. It's like if they distract you by asking, but what even is misogyny or whatever, they're taking the heat off the actual problem, i.e. misogyny, and tying you up in knots instead by trying to make you explain it so they can just, you know, pick holes in your argument. And then, like, similarly, when they're saying, but women do it too, that's a distraction. It's what about is it? Like, what about this thing? What about that, that thing? Don't look over there. Look over here, you know, because I guess at the root of it all, they just don't believe what you're saying they just don't believe it's real so no wonder you're exhausted no wonder you're furious I mean it seems to me lately that there is more of an urgency around this and you know more feeling around this people are getting death threats women are getting death threats but it has to be said it's this is not a new thing and I think our guest who we've got on today is going to tell us that you know they're going to say that it has been bad all along because you're copying misogyny daily when you're a high profile woman of color in public office in New Zealand oh yeah I mean upset rage aside we probably need to say what we are talking about today yes if you thank Christy if you haven't guessed it already we're talking about misogyny um and our guest <laughs> Sorry, listeners. Um, I guess they got that. Yeah. (laughs) I guess this girl is Garaman, and she's an Iranian refugee and a Green Party MP and a lawyer, and she's been experiencing misogynistic abuse since the beginning of her political career in around 2017. And that was actually when I first spoke to her um, when she was first elected to Parliament. And even then what struck me most about her was, like, the sheer level of hatred that people held for her. Why was that, do you reckon, Kirsty? Like, was it because of that visibility and because she was going to the beehive where she might potentially have some power? Yeah, I, it felt to me like she was subject to this level of scrutiny that most other new MPs didn't get. Maybe aside from Chloe Swalbrick, remember people were kind of obsessed with her because she was hated young. Hated her too, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But with goers... Well, not just hated, as you say, obsessed with her. Yeah, and with goers, people would, like, obsessively, and when I say people, I mean, like, men, um, would obsessively kind of fact-check her background. Um, after the story I wrote was published, I had emails denying that her family's refugee story was real for example people being like oh but why would you pretend to be a refugee god knows and then also like there was this whole incident wondering why she never mentioned certain aspects of her career even though like it was on her linkedin page like almost like gora's kind of truthers and this is kind of before now we've got widespread conspiracy theories you know obviously but that was sort of before all that right so i guess the question kind of is has it got worse since then and also, is it worse because she's a woman of colour and a former refugee? I mean, it's clear there's more that's going on here than just sexism. And we know that misogynoir, which is both sexism and racism, is an internationally recognised issue, particularly in the United States with black women, who are subject to untold harassment based on both of those, uh, like what we've seen with Wahine Māori here. Mm. 
And Gulriz Gahraman is here with us today. And um, welcome to you, Gulriz. And, uh, you know, because as we've been saying, we've been talking about the rise of misogyny, about women in public life who are getting this intensely for a number of intersecting reasons. You are, unfortunately, the obvious person to talk to about that. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, I do tick a lot of boxes as a target of misogyny. What's it like for you right now, you know, in the wake of the occupation of Parliament and all of that stuff? Can you sort of describe where your daily experience of harassment would be at at the moment? It's still very much online. So it's, I mean, I don't think that it was ever a surprise to any of us as we become more visible in public life that misogyny exists and racism exists and, you know, people being dicks exists. But the volume, I think the sheer volume of what I got when I first, because it was so immediate when I first ran as a candidate, I think that was just quietly overwhelming. Like I kind of was plodding along and it was like, oh no, this is like, it's it's huge and it's violent and it's, persistent so once you know we're now what four and a half years on from that for me and then you see it on parliament lawns and you see people turning up with nooses and you see um the signs targeting the prime minister in particular in a very misogynistic way and you know I I just don't know how journalists went in there and (laughs) did their job I just have nothing but respect for them because you know it was enormously threatening but I think I'm a little bit more numb to it, having lived through the onslaught that was that started online. It definitely linked up with real life because then the death threats and things started to have to be investigated. And then March 15th happened and we started to take it more seriously. Mine, as with most women of colour, is very much tinged with racism. But yeah, so the, the thing just, it felt like it was just coming to life on Parliament lawns. I still only ever take... Like I have to, I, I alternate the doors that I go out and, you know, like it's, that's just, that's just normal for me. And that was my security advice from a really long time ago. And it was even like, if you take taxis, don't take them from the same place every time. And that, that applies to home as well. But Parliament's a little bit different because people know where, exactly where we are, exactly the times that we might be leaving, all of that kind of stuff. I was actually just thinking, Gorriz, about um, 2017 when I wrote that story about you when you were first elected, and it yeah. was so bizarre. Like all of these trolls just kind of came crawling out of the woodwork, saying that you were, you know, lying about a bunch of different things, like your refugee status, your work history. Um, That's right. Oh my god, I had like a birth in this thing happening. Oh my god, Kirsty, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the convergence of our different trolls <laughs> like, that the overlap the Venn diagram of like people who hate journal- female journalists who write about women's issues and violence against women meets women of color trying to be in politics and like yeah, the Venn diagram's quite, it's pretty much a circle, eh, of our trolls. I think so. I think they were quite happy. They were like, oh, here it is. It's, this is yeah, yeah. One. It's <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I got so many myths, yeah. <laughs> is all of that still happening, that those weird truther? Yes, for sure. Um, it's kind of like layers and layers, so they're like under the pile now. <laughs> but it's, I find it really fascinating how, um, 
and again, like, you know, Jacinda Ardern truthers exist as well, where she and I both had this whole um, group of people who were trying to figure out how we were actually men. I heard about this. Like, what? there was like, well, there's, yeah, 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 like close-ups of our um, necks to look for Adam's apples and stuff. So it was so funny. It was, it was like this can't, I don't know if it was transphobia or just this, I, there's this weird, very compassionately I try and think of it as people are just afraid when they see like someone who they think is from a Muslim background, who's a refugee, they don't know what that word means, who is a woman who they, you know, a young woman, I'm not even that young. And then they, and the same kind of, some of the same stuff applies to the prime minister. And they're like, what, what's happening? What's underneath this? Like, this can't be happening. And they, that fear kind of leads them to these weird conspiracies. But yeah, they thought we were men. <laughs> they were trying to prove that we we're actually secretly men. Yeah, there was like some weird wow. photo going around of Jacinda's kind of crotch yeah. area, I think that I saw. And I was just like... Even. There's a video of both of us, like there's like all these like photos like montaged and they're like talking over it being like this like the misogyny's gone so full circle that it's come back to like these aren't even women. <laughs> so that's interesting what you're saying, basically that you being in power is literally blowing people's minds. Like they just can't believe that it could be true. I mean, what do you think it is about people finding it so disturbing about a woman of colour in particular being in power? What is so offensive to them about that? Um, back in 2019, I got to be in the US for, for something else and I ended up being able to arrange to meet with Ilhan Omar, who's the first refugee um, member of the House of Representatives there. She's a congresswoman. And we'd kind of come up at about the same time. We it's Our lives are quite funny in their parallels because she she was made a refugee at nine, same as me, and then we've ended up somehow in respective houses of, you know, and we're the first refugee, in whatever. Um, and so we're talking about it and laughing about how there's all of these suspicions, like you're, you're an undercover agent, you're a secret terrorist, which is, it's so wild that you'd be like, I have to be elected into this house of reps and then I'll do my terrorism <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> like what? But, um, but we were talking about it and it's when we appear to be confident and behaving as if we have a right to be there, like when we're being particularly critical, when we're being sort of very overtly authentic of our background or celebrating wins, it's those types of behaviours that really bring it on. So right. th it, there's something about that where it isn't just having, like if I was just here and being quietly merging into the Green Party, maybe talking about conservation issues only and being in photos as like an ethnic face, <laughs> I think it would be different than coming on and being like, well, I, I actually am a representative. Here's the things that I represent and I will criticise and I will push back and I will um, celebrate my wins that the pushback comes at that point and it is at its most violent at that point. That that's somehow inflammatory, you know, yes. you just living your life and thriving. Yes, like behaving, it's, it, I don't like to use the word entitled because it has such a um, bad <laughs> connotation now, but it's that kind of what well, I am as entitled to be here as an elected person, as the next guy, <laughs> and that just is galling. So you're allowed to be here as like a grateful little woman of colour, um, but not not the actual thing that you've been elected to be. 
And when I was elected, you know, Kirsty, when you did that um, interview and I just announced my candidacy, I was online all the time criticising the government because we were in opposition. We were trying to change the government. That was that was what all the opposition MPs were doing. And the just uh, the pushback was wild on that point. Like, what right do you have um, in particular? And, like, it's, and that's when the stuff came with, like, it's time to load our shotguns, guys. You know, like, there was comments like that all through my replies where people were talking to each other about, like, we need to, we need to act now. Like, that's how inflammatory it seemed to them for me to be criticising John Key, but, like, me in particular. You had security for a while, didn't you? What, what was, I did. what happened, Goldries? Like, what, that you had to have that. It was after March 15th and we started to, well, I mean, I I don't think most people realise, but the threats against the communities that were targeted, so migrants of colour and refugees and the Muslim community in particular, and I'm always thought of as being Muslim. So the threats and the abuse actually went up in the weeks after March 15th where there was a perception that these people were being too accepted or (laughs) supported or whatever. And we also kind of at the same time started taking them a bit more seriously. I'd been kind of brushing them off. And I think it's kind of important to notice that women do get told to brush things off online, especially, you know, there's that whole thing of like, well, just don't look at your comments. And the mental health impact of that is is something that I really want to, I really want us to notice that what we're telling women is to just be less present online. And in any case, so we did start to report them. but And so police kind of started to look at them more carefully. But then there was this kind of incident a couple of weeks after at, uh, where David Seymour had gone on some radio program and said in relation to the hate speech reforms that we were talking about, like the Minister for Justice was talking about it, so it's Andrew Little, and I, I was talking about it in terms of, well, yeah, like there's no way in New Zealand for, for women, actually, to report gender-based hate speech. There's no way for the rainbow community. There's no way for religious minorities um, because we only cover race. So we were talking about hate speech reform in the wake of the Christchurch attack. Um, It was all very relevant to what had happened. And he, instead of talking about the issue in particular, he sort of singled me out and said, Goris Garriman is a threat to freedom in this country. And then it just went. And those, that kind of combination of words were exactly what it was a real menace to freedom, he called you. Yes, that's it? what it is. Yes, yes, yeah. there you go, menace. But, uh, yeah, but that idea that I'm here to take away freedom, and, you know, the, we know now that the idea of, and, and it's with Jacinda now as well, where it's like she's taking away our freedoms, you know, it's the conspiracy theories that were already bubbling up back then, and I guess I didn't have as much of an understanding of it, but the idea that these changes that are happening in society you know, the rights that Indigenous people are getting or women's rise in public life or whatever are all somehow connected with, you know, our freedoms being taken away. Whoever our, <laughs> that, that our is referring to, I'm not sure, but the idea that it's going to mean something like uh, some kind of dictatorship or whatever was really prevalent. And so I got these, this enormous wave of threats and then it was assessed by the police team and parliamentary security that I should have, you know, while they figured out who a few of the particular threatening characters were online and so they did and it was kind of dealt with and thank God I don't have that happening anymore. But 
I remember at the time, like, um, it was so bad that even Judith Collins, like, came to your defense. Like, she tweeted. Um, yeah, she t- And she was like, I don't agree with almost anything Gora said. Yeah. But she is a person. Oh, thank you, Judith. That's really nice. Oh, <laughs> she actually texted me as well. She was like, she texted me something like, and that's actually, it, it is quite interesting how women do kind of, you know, like there's something that surpasses. She texted me saying, don't you respond to this stuff. It'll just get worse. We will do it on your behalf. That's good, eh? But a solidarity. And she did. Yeah. But I mean, she's, again, I don't agree with almost anything else she does. <laughs> do you think, or is that this is something that like women, all women, women politicians across the house should be kind of, um, banding together on like is there that sense of mm-hmm. solidarity and and you know can can you all push back together somehow against this well I I wish that it was more a question of can all of parliament you know because we actually need the dudes as well to kind of step in and acknowledge that this is happening and it's not happening to them it's not like obviously James and James, as in James Shore, our co-leader, fully acknowledges this and and kind of we talk about it in our caucus and in our comms team and whatever else. But it's of course he gets attacks. Of course he gets people that are obsessively going after him. And he actually got punched in the street by someone who was anti um, the abortion law reforms. So even that was <laughs> linked to misogyny. But I wish we talked about it more openly as a parliament where we go, yep, you know, Chris Pink probably has, and I know, and I'm just picking him out because I know he, he, his trolls will be identifying as left-leaning, you know, and they, they will go after him and there'll be people that go after James. But it's actually to do with what they're doing. You know, nobody's trying to slut shame the dude MPs or talking about them as being ugly or fat or, you know, like, and and they're not... Just for existing. This is what Kirstie was saying earlier. You know, that's the difference, isn't it? Like, Michelle, Mm -hmm. you were saying you're so knackered of trying to explain this difference to people. It's like, it's about who you actually are, you know, your, your personhood. Yes, that's absolutely what it is. And we can totally prove, like, you can really see it because you can see it in the language and the kind of attacks you get. But then there's another, there's a weird um, crossover where there'll be people who relentlessly attack female, whether it's journalists or just women in public life, attacking or undermining our expertise or competence and it's harder to prove that they're doing it because you're a woman (laughs) but it's very clear if you're living that life where you're like actually the male MPs don't have to answer why they the funniest one was once we um it was like a video I I'm the foreign affairs and defense spokesperson and so I'd done something about the Middle East deployments uh, last term about the need for them to be pulled because of the context in the Middle East and whatever. And this guy was relentlessly like, why would the Greens put her up? What qualification does she have? What? And eventually I was just like, all right, because I don't want to respond to those. No one, no one needs a qualification to be in parliament as a representative. So that's not actually a valid question. But I did have to come in and just be like, well, actually, I've literally got a master's in, like, war crimes and I'm Middle Eastern and I've lived in a war and, you know, <laughs> and I've worked for the UN on this very issue in, like, several deployments. But, yeah, it's that vibe of, like... Constantly qualify yourself. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the undermining. Yeah, it's so insidious, isn't it? And, it's, and it happens to, every, like, it happens to women who just comment. So someone will be like, well, actually, you know, the, the well, actually guy... Um, who's that we're just much more likely to be required to prove our the bases of our opinions, you know. 
constantly. And that, that silences women online and in public life as well. It's just exhausting. and it's, it's. I think that's what has been making me mad this week. It's like, why do you need me to explain it to you over and over again in great detail and then you're still picking holes in it? And I think oh the reason is because they don't really want to know or they don't really believe no, they don't. That, what you're saying. they don't accept it. This entire field, right, this whole rise of misogyny is something that women of colour have been talking about for a really long time and you've been experiencing for a long time, goers. And I feel, like, do you just feel like no one's been listening and that you've kind of been screaming into the wind? (laughs) So I was thinking about this before coming on. Is it a rise in misogyny or is it that, like, everyone is now platformed in a really different way? So were were all these people walking around challenging us in our workplaces, in daily life, just, you know, just, just that barrier was just invisible in there. And now because they have a way of reaching us more broadly, more of us are experiencing it openly. And so the platform is maybe a tool because it's actually just exposing the thing that was always a barrier that we were fighting kind of in a, in an individual, in a private sort of isolated way. So I don't know. I don't, I think that really nails the role of social media as well. You know what you're saying there, Goldries. You know, it's like it, it's more visible, isn't it? It's it's direct. It's but, you know, I'm listening to you talk about five years ago and people were talking about getting out shotguns, you know, like that's, yes. that. That's not new. That's in my maiden speech. I literally was and I would never have thought that. But like the first time I stood up in Parliament, when I was trying to write that speech, I was like, I have to talk about this. It's such a massive part of what politics has been for me. And I'd only, it was like eight months into me just being a candidate. It was already such a big part of it, being told I don't have a right to be here and that we're going to kill you if you continue. So it's like the second subject in my maiden speech. <laughs> it's like, here's all my thanks. Um, and also, by the way, Mr. Speaker, people are trying to kill me because... As a woman of colour from a refugee background, I shouldn't be here apparently. So it, yeah, it was really, <laughs> it was it was very instant. But I guess the uh, just to counter my own um, argument about it having always been here but been made visible through social media, I think that there is a rise in the sense that they get affirmation from one another. Yeah, and so and and that kind of the bubbles that are able to be formed in social media. It, end up kind of fueling the kind of thing that we then see where it comes out into real life because they feel so bolstered by those bubbles where they've been talking about how correct their views are and how the need for action and sometimes violence is um, valid. Justified, yeah. So just talking about social media then, um, what is it that can be done in this area and what has been done? I mean, what we've found reporting these stories, Kirsty and I, is that, you know, the sort of current agencies appear to have a kind of patchwork approach about how to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, how to combat this. It's not really clear what the threshold for police action is or, or what has been done, um, you know, to sort of yeah. uh, combat social media. So what, what do you think is the answer here? So there's kind of a multi-layered answer, I think. So in New Zealand, hate crimes aren't even 
uh, in the Crimes Act. So even even if you get attacked based on your gender or race or whatever, it's and the police actually want this to happen so they can actually charge someone in that particular way. So we can see the rise. We can take it into account. You know, whatever's happening in court definitely should have uh, input into our responses at, at a lower level. So that's not there. There's no hate speech laws and they're not necessarily a criminalisation thing. They're more about, like, take it down and what other sanction is there below that level of criminalisation. They're not there other than for race groups and even where they find hate speech against a race group. it's The outcome is basically only mediation is available. So, you know, you can imagine that doesn't work for a group issue. <laughs> it only works on an individual basis. So that's, there's like big holes in our laws there. But then there's the idea that these platforms are making billions of dollars out of us and they're completely unregulated and we pretend like they're not real life. So even existing law can barely be applied to them. And this is like a conversation that I have with Facebook and with Google who runs YouTube and whatever else all the time. We don't regulate them at all and they constantly argue that they should remain self-regulating. But if someone was running like a community hall where you could, uh, you know, scream. Go in and be a Nazi, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like this is where we live. Future generations are really going to look back and be astounded And then, of course, there's the algorithms. Yeah. It's terrible, isn't it? Because there was such a momentum, I felt like, after March 15th with the Christchurch Mm. call to go and actually do something about it. Well, you know what's happened with that? It's It's that social media platforms have somehow successfully argued that we should, uh, the nation states that are sort of looking into this should reach consensus first. So can you imagine, you know, whereas we don't do that with most other things, right? Like if we want to regulate. You just regulate, yeah. You regulate. But there's also kind of a misunderstanding, like there's a, in, in places like Canada and most of the European Union, they do regulate really, really effectively. So we've got this weird sort of other, and, and even in the US where they have sort of absolute free speech, they go, well, yeah, but except you can't actually harm people, you can't threaten people, defamation is unlawful, whatever else. So we're going to apply it. We're going to apply all of those things to things like online spaces. We don't do that. I think it's really interesting the way that you frame that, Gores, in talking about how future generations will look back on this and just <laughs> think, how do we let this get to this point? Hey, can I ask, you've just told us, you know, a few really terrible examples that you have experienced <laughs> yourself. Can I just ask, how do you take care of yourself and how do you make sure that, well, I don't know, that you can keep on doing your job and that you don't take it personally? I think I kind of externalize a lot of it. Like the thing that really, really worries me is that we keep talking about how we're growing diversity in our parliament, for example, or diversity in media or whatever else. And then we settle for this level of abuse and this kind of very, very violent, threatening environment for women in those spaces, or, or, and in particular women of colour or women from, uh, from the rainbow community or disabled women, you know, and there's like layers and layers and I mean the way I cope which is your actual question is kind of to retreat into those safe spaces and like be around other women who you know because we're being societally gaslit because we keep being told to just not look at the comments as if that will solve it or that it's not really happening or that you just need to be stronger and then we kind of retreat into these spaces where we are now and we affirm each other and we you know we kind of recommit to the truth <laughs> and sometimes we drink wine and you know get angry 
Yeah, and get angry. Eat food, get angry, or not even talk about it for a, for a hot minute, but be at least surrounded by people who know, you know, who you don't have to prove anything to um, if you do happen to go on a little rant. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, the thing that worries me is who's, who's out there who's vulnerable, who's consuming the attacks that I'm getting, that I have now to a large extent shut off from and I'm kind of trying to do the work of like some of these reforms and trying to put you know I get to yell at um, the regional head of Facebook and select committee that must be quite nice is it? it is it is I, I did insist on beginning <laughs> beginning that select committee by reading out Mark Zuckerberg's apology to the world from two years ago and being to like nothing has changed nothing has changed motherfuckers <laughs> it's true though isn't it there is that gendered sense of entitlement about that, isn't there, from these behemoths, yes. these sort of, you know, online platforms, as though they should somehow, as though Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey and the rest mm. of them should somehow be above the law, you know? But they're literally making money from this. It's not even, like, they're literally showing misogynists more misogyny to get them to keep being in their spaces. Oh, Goldrose, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Does anyone want to ask any more questions? No, I just liked the bit where she said we're a safe space. (laughs) (laughs) want a drink. (laughs) It's midday. That must be fine somewhere. (laughs) 12.35. You're sweet, Michelle. Just a tipple, you know, maybe a rosé. I don't know. Take the edge off. Hey, thanks so much, Goldrose. It's always a pleasure. Such a pleasure. Yeah, love talking to you. Thanks for coming on. We'll see you soon. Thanks for having me. This is therapy. Good. <laughs> you deserve it. See ya. Kia Bye. Bye. And that was Goraz Garaman, who is a Green Party MP. Michelle, do you think you're more or less angry after hearing from her? Look, it's difficult to quantify, isn't it? I... <laughs> Bill, yeah, I mean, I just think she made some really great points around the, uh, you know, the the feeling like you have to justify and explain things, which is even to, you know, those social media platforms and that kind of thing, that's, it's really quite ludicrous. And I hope she's right. We needed to hear that, didn't we? You needed to hear that today, I feel like, given where we started at the beginning of this episode. God, I just feel like the next person who says to me, don't read the comments or don't read your Twitter, I'm going to be like, it's real. Like, that's a real place. Because what's that going to do? Like, they're still going to be there. It's just I'm not reading them. The problem still exists, right? You know, I'm infuriated by that and you. I hadn't thought about that for a while, but now I'm infuriated all over again. And the hilarious thing is I don't even get comments. Like, you know, I'm not... (laughs) I'm not doing well. You might now, Noelle, that you're in, that you're involved in this podcast. You never know. That's right. I'm sticking <laughs> my head above the parapet, aren't I? Thank you both. I hope we're not angrier than we were. I possibly am. I hope you have a wine, Michelle, and I hope we see each other again next week. I'm actually on a deadline. I won't be doing that. You won't be having a wine. No. I'm gonna go just do some nostril breathing, just some heavy <laughs> nostril breathing. You know, everyone can do it together. See you next week. Tell Me About It is made for stuff by Bird of Paradise Productions. It was produced by me, Noelle McCarthy, and written by me, Kirsty Johnston, and Michelle Duff. Our script supervisor is Eugene Bingham, and thanks to Janine Fenwick and Eugene for editorial oversight. Mixed by Mark Chesterman. And our theme tune is Queenie Queenie by Tammy Nielsen, our queen. 
You can like the podcast and leave a review on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell Me About It is made possible by funding from New Zealand On Air. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Now come baby, cradling on.